All right, so as David said, it's a special day. It's Father's Day. How many fathers we got in the room? Raise your hand if you're a father. So let's give a clap for the fathers. Let's honor the fathers. So I don't know what it is with Pastor Tim, but if you guys remember, the last time I spoke, it was Mother's Day. And now it's Father's Day. And so I'm thinking maybe the next time I'm going to speak is probably the week of Thanksgiving, maybe, or Christmas. I'm going to become a creaster. Do you guys know what a creaster is? It's, it's someone who attends church just on Christmas and Easter. I'm going, to be the, I'm going to be the preaching version of a creaster. That's what it's going to be. But I think it's appropriate because, you know, we're on this series of Growing in Grace. And our fathers play such a major role in the impact of growing in grace and sanctification. Now, here's the thing. All of us are greatly impacted by our fathers. Some is bad impact. Some of us have not had great earthly fathers. Some of us have had great impact by our fathers. My father, you know, as I reflected on this sermon, I was texting him this morning. My father's a pastor, for those who don't know. And, you know, I was just texting with him this morning and just, you know, telling him how thankful I am for the investment he's made on my life in my journey of sanctification. You know, the scripture says, train up a child and the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. And we had this slate plaque before you entered our home. We lived in the church parsonage growing up, and before you entered our home, the front door, there was this plaque, and it was the verse from Joshua that said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And, you know, as I reflect on the impact my father has had on me, it is so powerful, and I just was so thankful that God, I don't know why God chose to bless me with such a great father, but he did. But here's what I want to say to all of you, those who maybe have great fathers or don't. If you don't have a great father today, if you look and, and you maybe are impacted in a negative way from the effects of your father, you have the ability to experience the love and the grace and the perfection of a perfect father. And we're going to learn about growing in grace and, and, you know, this process of sanctification. Growing in grace, I love the title, but it's really the doctrine of sanctification. But before the doctrine of sanctification in our Christian life, there's the doctrine of justification. And before the doctrine of justification, there really is election and adoption. And I want to encourage you that all of us, God knows us. He knew us before the foundation of the world. And he's called us. And he's given us the ability to be adopted into his family. And think about that, to be adopted by the Heavenly Father, to be called sons and daughters of God. He even says in the scriptures that we're co-heirs, so we're going to reap the inheritance. We're co-heirs with Jesus. We're going to reap the inheritance, and we're going to be in the doctrine of glorification, which is the end, where we see him for as he really is. When we come to heaven, that's glorification, and we're going to be glorified because we're going to be like him and see him finally for who he really is. All of us have the ability today to experience the true love of our heavenly father. And, you know, as I think about the doctrine of justification... We tend to talk about it a lot in Christianity, which is the gospel, and you know, I'll click the slide. But the, the doctrine of justification is really that God has declared us innocent, even though we're not. If just a reminder of this grace, that we are sinners, 
Maybe let's uh, pretend that you were convicted of murder. The facts are against you. You're in the court of law. God is the judge and God is declaring you innocent. Even though you're not innocent. And he does that why or how? He does that through his son. He sent his son who is perfect and his son was a sacrifice for us. That's how much he loves us as our heavenly father. He sends us his son and makes us right. We are positionally right. Like God sees us as right even though I sin every day. How many of you sin this week? But yet God sees me as right. He sees me as someone that's perfect. He sees the blood of Jesus on me because I have put my faith in Jesus. And that's justification. And we tend to share that as Christians and write about that and talk about that a lot. And then we tend to talk a lot about the doctrine of glorification, which is what's to come. The life that's to come in heaven that we're going to one day see him for as he really is. There's going to be no more weeping. There's going to be no more sorrow. There's going to be mansions, streets of gold. It inspires me when you think of what's to come and the reward that's to come. But a lot of times in this life, we don't like to talk about the doctrine of sanctification. And I love how Pastor Tim made the title because growing in grace, I think, is a more attractive title about this idea of becoming like Christ. The doctrine of sanctification, though, when you look in the scriptures, and we'll walk through it today because I want you guys to see what I have been affected by and convicted by, but sanctification is really this process of being set apart. Growing in grace, though we are positionally righteous because of Jesus, we're still in our everyday lives apart from being at that position. And God is continually working on us. And being set apart from a spiritual sense, it really is in the believer's life to be set apart to God. It's this idea of conforming to the image of his son, this process of sanctification. And here's the thing that's amazing, I think, about Christianity. And I share this often, but I think we need to, as Christians, really, really share this when we're sharing the gospel. Christianity is the only religion, the only religion out there, that it is not what you have done for God to earn favor, to earn salvation, but what God has done for you. And one of the reasons I think we don't talk about sanctification is, one, because it's painful. Paul describes sanctification process as giving childbirth. How many of you have had children? Now, I don't know the pain of childbirth. Is it painful? A little. It's a little painful. Paul describes in the Bible this process of sanctification that we're all going through as Christians. He describes it as childbirth. He describes it as labor pains. It's also described as being crucified. You're crucifying yourself. You're dying. It's a, it's a hard process. I think that's one of the reasons why you know, we don't really like to talk about it because it's kind of painful. The other reason is because I think we tend to go towards legalism. I think when we start talking about sanctification, if you're anything like me, I am really obsessed with like self-help stuff. Anybody heard of Tony Robbins? So I love Tony Robbins. I love Les Brown. I love these mindset guys, these guys that are teaching you how to be successful. Like the articles that catch me on the internet or the articles are like the three steps to being a millionaire or the 10 steps to having a perfect life or the four steps to the morning routine. These things get me going. 
So on sanctification, when Pastor Tim was saying, hey, can you fill in for me? Can you share on this topic of growing in grace? Where do you think the first thing I went to is? Well, what are the four steps to growing in grace? Like, what are the, what are the three things you need to do to grow in grace and to be sanctified so you can become like Christ? That is actually evil, the opposite of really what sanctification and growing in grace is. And we're going to learn today, growing in grace, if you remember nothing else from this sermon, growing in grace is growing in relationship with Christ. It is not a list of do's and don'ts. So if you're coming here today to hear a list of do's and don'ts, you're going to hear a bunch of do's and don'ts. But that's not what sanctification is about. Sanctification is about growing in relationship with Christ, and from there flows a natural desire to want to do the right thing. And that's a mistake I think we make in our lives is that we tend to think about Christianity and coming to Christ as we, we know, okay, we don't come by works because all of us are like, yeah, it's by faith, but what do I have to do? And the truth is, you don't have to do anything. Christ has done everything. He has justified us, declared us innocent. And from that, and our true belief in that, should flow wanting to be in relationship with him. And have you ever heard that you're the sum of the six people you hang out with? You ever heard about that? You're the product. Who you are, you're the product of the six closest people you hang out with that influence you, that you read. You, you're the product of that. And so my message to you to be today is going to be, if you want to be sanctified and continue on this process of being sanctified, you better start hanging out with Jesus. You better start hanging out with Jesus. Because that is what sanctification in the process is all about. But I want to walk us through, just so you guys can feel the same conviction I feel when it comes to sanctification. I want to read for us this process of sanctification because I pulled a bunch of text of what the Bible says, of what we should be expecting now that we've been justified, now that we've been found free in Christ, what we should be doing, we should be putting on this new life, this new self. So I want to read this for us. We're going to start Colossians 3, 1 through 17. So if you have your scripture, follow along. Listen to this, because this, so you guys can understand, if, you're, if you come here today and you wonder... What should the Christian life look like? Like, what should I, when I'm looking at a Christian, what should it look like? Here's what Christ wants it to look like. Picking up in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienating from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous, reading the wrong scripture. Let me go back. I was like, this is not the scripture that I was supposed to read. That's Ephesians. We're about to get to Ephesians. So I'm going to read Colossians, and you're going to get this point because actually Ephesians and Colossians say the really critical point of what we need to do in order to fulfill or act or what action should we take knowing how the Christian life should look. So picking up verse 1, going through verse 17. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, 
on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So very quickly, you know how I told you there's the doctrine of justification, there's sanctification, then there's glorification. We see that in this text right here. We see that you have been raised with Christ. You've been justified. You've been resurrected. You've been given a new life. So what does he say? Now we're living in this new life for free, but we should set our minds on the things above. We should set our mind on the things of Christ. And then when Christ comes back, what's going to happen? He's going to appear, or we're going to appear with him in glory. So picking up again in verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So this is how the Christian life should look, unless you're looking at Luke Acre, because then it's not going to look like that, unfortunately. But this is how it needs to look. Put to death what is earthly in you. Your sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and, or psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God, the Father, through him. So what does sanctification look like? What does this process of growing in grace technically look like? To me, it seems impossible. Putting to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, putting together anger. How many of us were angry this week? How many of us practiced or showed greed this week? Instead, put on holiness, belovedness, humility, kindness, meekness. Think about your relationship with your significant other. Think about your work and what you did this week. Meaning we must apply this to our practical lives that we're living today. And as I look, I go, it seems impossible. And to drive home this point of sanctification... You know, if we look at, I'm just going to go to 2 Timothy 2.21 here. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel, vessel for honorable use, set apart. So there's that set apart, that sanctification. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. 
Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we must crucify ourselves every single day, not living by flesh anymore in our desires, but living by faith for Christ, to become like Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-5, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. This is the will of God, your sanctification, your growing in grace, that you learn to control your body. To me, I read this stuff, and I just go, how? How? Like, I manage a bunch of people at my work, and I find myself getting so angry at these people because they're lazy, they show up late. These, these are your thoughts going through my mind, and they don't do a good job. But, but God is calling me to, if I go back to the Colossians, he's calling me to have compassionate heart, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. And so the question that should be happening in our minds is how do we do this? How do we grow in grace? We've been saved, we're made right with God in justification, but how do we go through this process of sanctification? And I liked what was said yesterday at the P31. I'm very early on my journey of sanctification. And as I was looking in the scriptures just for, God, how do I grow in grace? How do I grow in sanctification? How do I continue this process? The verse that just kept coming back to me is verse John 17, 17, which Carl read, which says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. My ability to wake up and do a Tony Robbins affirmation if, if you're familiar with Tony Robbins, he says to do affirmations to yourself in the mirror every day. So my affirmation might look like this. I will not commit sexual immorality. I will not be impure. I will not have evil desires. And affirm that to myself is pointless. I'll fail. It won't happen. On my own ability to sanctify myself, it won't happen. What God is saying here is your sanctification will come from his truth. Your growing in grace will come from his truth. What's his truth? His word is truth. And then where did my mind go? My mind went to John 1.1 because what's the word? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Meaning Jesus is the word in the flesh. Jesus is the word. And then John 17, 3, what is eternal life? How do I succeed in putting to death all these things? This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So what am I saying here? To grow in grace and to put to death all these things that are clearly stated in the Bible, to continue my process of sanctification, I must be in his truth, which means what? I must be in the word, which means what? I must be in fellowship with Jesus. The point I want to drive home is that we must be dwelling in the word every single day. And this word is not a book. 
It's not a book. It's living. It's a living word. It's Jesus' spoken word. It doesn't return void. It's something that we'll see as we walk through these four points. What dwelling in the word, how we can help us grow in grace. The first is it gives us nourishment. So I run a sales organization, so motivation is huge. You cannot motivate people for performance. You cannot hit performance when your well is dry. When your well is dry and you haven't fed your own body, your own mind, your own spirit, I promise you, you will not hit the performance you want to hit. I tell my managers all the time, if your person's not hitting their goal, first go to see if their well is empty. Meaning, do they need nourishment? Do they need inspiration? Dwelling in the Word of God gives nourishment. Imagine if you don't eat today. You're going to be hungry? A week? Two weeks? You're going to become weak. Just like your physical body needs physical food, your spiritual life needs spiritual food. We see that in Matthew 4, 4, it says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So when I get discouraged, like I did, reading Colossians, because I can, I don't want to list because it's embarrassing, but I can list where I failed in anger, where I failed in sexual immorality. I can list these things. I need nourishment. I need life. Breathe back into me. I need someone, not the Tony Robbins, to go, you can do this. You are greater than you think. No, no, no. I need something real, built on a real foundation. And the Word of God can provide that inspiration and that nourishment. It is written, it says, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But he also says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. That's what John 6.63 says. So it's the spirit that brings life. So if you're looking for life right now, it's the spirit that brings life. But then Jesus says, the words that I speak to you are the spirit and they are life. If we want to gain life and nourishment for our spirit, it is essential that we spend time with God's word. God's word is a source of life. Proverbs 4, 20 through 23 says this, guys. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them. In health to all their flesh. I don't know where each of you are at, but I promise you this, if you're discouraged, if you're facing trial and tribulation, and you're looking for nourishment, look no further than keeping your heart with all diligence on the word of God, for he says, for out of it springs the issues of life. The answers to your problems are in the word. This ability to put to death and continue to be sanctified and grow in grace is in the word. 
The next point that I think dwelling in the word would bring to us in our growth in grace is discernment. Life is not black or white. Life tends to be gray. Whenever people get up and, and teach, they tend to give black and white scenarios. But when you go out into the world, to your workplace, to your relationships, it tends to be very gray. It tends to be, well, I could do this, I could do that. The Bible gives us discernment. The author of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. As human beings, it's natural for us to seek our own desires. That's what Philippians 2.21 says. So it isn't easy for us to determine to discern really between good and bad. The reason why I think that is is because our judgment of what is right and wrong tends to be tainted by our personal experience, our personal emotions, and that clouds us in what we choose. God's word cuts through all of this. It separates out all self-seeking in our lives and determines what truth and righteousness is. This is what Jeremiah 23:29 says. Is not my word like fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? See, God's word is powerful, it's full of authority, it is a holy two-edged sword that divides between our will and the will of God. It's a fire that consumes impurity in a hammer that has power to demolish all sin. So, if we're in the word of God, he will give us discernment when we face the issues in our relationships and our work that will point us to righteousness. If we're in the word of God, he'll instruct us in righteousness. And when I read Colossians and putting to death all these things, when I way, and the answer is by taking heed according to your word. See, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Psalms 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So as I go on this journey to try to put to death all these things, if I'm in Christ, from it my path will be lit. I'll know what not to choose and what to choose. And then, most importantly, I think when we're in the Word of God, it gives us the power to overcome the temptations that we face. It's clear from Scripture that Satan makes use of you know, our natural desires, our natural lust, to try to get us to disobey God, to turn against God. And we see Satan even try to tempt Jesus. But do you know what Jesus' defenses were? Every defense that Jesus gave when he faced temptation was scripture. Every defense. And so the question I ask us, ask myself is, do I know scripture enough? Am I in the word enough? And I, should, I don't want to make it to be a book of memorization. Am I in relationship with Jesus enough? Because the word is Jesus living and breathing, do I know him enough, do I have a relationship with him enough that my well is full, that when I get faced with temptation, that pops into my mind and I have a defense, a counterattack that I can give. 
Psalms 119.11 says this, and it's a, it's a verse of encouragement, I think, is, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Paul writes, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. That's in Ephesians 6.17. See, the Bible, God's word, is a weapon. It is a sword that gives us the power and authority to overcome in the midst of temptation. If we want to be growing in grace, which is the doctrine of sanctification, which is a process of becoming like Christ, we must not try to do it on our own. We must be in relationship with Christ because from our relationship with Christ it will flow. How do we get in relationship with Christ? We have to be in his word every single day. I did not read Christ's word every single day today or this week. Here we are. We know the God of the universe. We know the God of the universe. I asked myself this question. You're more listening to Tony Robbins than you are even in Scripture. If I want to be able to, and this is a sermon to myself, <laughs> if I want to be able to become like Christ, I have to know Christ. I have to know Christ. I have to be in relationship with him, and that comes from being in his word every single day. And this is my last point before we wrap up. You can't just be a hearer of the word. Do not be hearers only. James 21 through 27 says, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. The word can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Coming to church on Sunday morning and hearing the word of God is not enough. It's not enough. Just reading the scriptures or listening to the preachers online is not enough. We must take our knowledge and put it into action. We must be not only hearers, we must be doers of the word. Picking up in 25 to close it out to 27 is, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, I love that saying, the law that gives freedom. Usually you think of laws as a list of do's and don'ts, but where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. In relationship with Jesus, in his word, there's freedom. And continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Here is perfect religion. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The only way we do that is from a well that's full by a relationship in Jesus Christ. I wanted to give us some practical tips that I think could help us be doers of the word and not just hearers. Because I want the tips even for myself. And the ones that came to mind were on the screen is I think you should find an accountability partner. We're not 
This is not something we should be playing. This is not something that should just make us feel good. If we're serious about our sanctification and becoming like Christ because he has freely justified us. We should find an accountability partner that will exhort you, that you can share your deep secrets with where you're messing up, that will exhort you to run to Christ. Not condemn you because you messed up and you're a sinner. Exhort you to run to Christ because if your well is full, you'll be able to overcome the temptation. If you're in his words, you'll be able to overcome the temptation. I think you should join a small group. I think you should be involved in, as Pastor Tim says, is live life together. Live life together. Every single one of you should participate in ministry. Don't just come on Sunday morning, participate in ministry. The thing that has shaped me the most in my journey to be trying to become like Christ is participating in ministry. You've heard me say many, many times, I do not like doing this. I truly do. I don't like having to put in the work to prepare. I don't enjoy. I'm, we have a board meeting this afternoon. Sunday school at 9 o'clock. These things. I'm human. I'm a human. I don't want to have to spend my time preparing. But I think to myself, what else would I be doing? You know what I would be doing? I would be filling Luke's flesh. Whatever that is. I would be doing what Luke wants to do. But when I participate in ministry, it starts molding and crafting me how I can put down my own desires for the desires of Christ. And what I've found, if you hear like iron sharpens iron, the scripture says, that's where I get shaped the most is in that sacrifice. In that sacrifice of, I want to be like Christ. And you know when I'm the most discouraged, I look back and I find it's when I'm out of relationship with Christ. When Megan and I aren't connecting, do you know what it is? We've spent no time together. When we're fighting and we're upset, which happens because it happens in every relationship, I look and I go, when was the last time I bought her flowers? When was the last time I took her out to dinner? When was the last time I spent time with her? When was the last time I gave her words of affirmation? From that well, if it's full, our relationship flows. When it's empty, discouragement, pain, suffering. So when we want our well to be full, we have to spend time with Christ that's in his word and it's through prayer is the last one. You have access to a heavenly father that loves you beyond measure, sent his own son, his only son, as a sacrifice for us and he'll talk to us. He, we have access to the Father. It almost seems unreal, too good to be true. Imagine sharing with someone who's not a believer, hey, I can talk to God. Like, but that's what we have. We can move mountains. We can have faith to move mountains. Not our power, Christ's power within us. And Christ has given us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to help guide, discern, encourage, convict. He's given us that to help us live a life that transforms us into his image. And what I don't want you guys to hear as we just close is, I don't want you to hear that growing in grace is a list of do's and don'ts. Because it's not. It's not. 
You'll never fulfill. You'll never fulfill a list of do's and don'ts. Growing in grace means to become like Christ. And becoming like Christ means to consistently commune with Him, have a relationship with Him, which is dwelling in God's Word and becoming a doer of His Word. I love Megan. Therefore, what flows from me is buying her flowers, words of affirmation, spending time. I don't have to go buy flowers one day a week, spend two hours, and now I love Megan. It doesn't work that way. It's the same with Christ. God has justified us. He set us free. We don't have to earn that. We don't have to wake up and spend this much time in the Bible, put down this thing for us to earn that salvation. It's done. It's written. But from it being written, from that flows, when I spend time with him, when I commune with him, from that he gives me the strength and the power to overcome all these things in the world, to put to death my flesh and live in this new life. Because without him it would not be possible. So I encourage you, take action on getting an accountability partner, getting part of ministry, getting in a small group, getting in prayer every single day. And watch your well fill up, and from there you're able to overcome the temptations of the world. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. God, thank you for just uh, speaking to me.